Hello, LineClick Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the LineClick Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show. As always, I am putting out a newsletter every Monday, basically sharing uh, tips, ideas, information, things I found useful in the food industry. And I share it every Monday in a newsletter called Prep List Items. You can go to LineClickThoughts.com and put in your email and hit subscribe to receive this free newsletter I put out every Monday. Really hope you check it out. I put a lot of interesting content out on that uh, newsletter. It helps me get out small different interesting things that I wouldn't otherwise get to you. It's just a great resource to have more content from the brand. So go check it out at linecomthoughts.com. Also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. An honest review is all I ask. It helps me get better at the podcast and lets me know what you think of the show. My guest today for this interview is Josh Sharkey. He's the founder and CEO of Mies, the recipe tool for professional chefs. He is an entrepreneur, chef, and restaurant operator with over 20 years of experience in, in the industry at restaurants like Oceana, Tabla, Boulet, and Cafe Grey. After more than a decade cooking Michelin starved kitchens, he opened Bark Hot Dogs in 2009, which are numerous accolades in the fast casual space. Sharky spent five years as the chief operating officer of Orify Brands before launching Mies to the public in late 2020, following more than two years of development. Since then, Mies has partnered with renowned groups and concepts, including Jose Andres Think Food Group, Jean Georges Restaurants by Jean Georges Von Richten, fast casual favorite Mulberry and Vine, and local staple Brooklyn Larder. During the pandemic, Josh used Mies is technology to create recipes for relief, initiative that made interactive recipes available for purchase with 100% of proceeds supporting restaurant and relief. And in 2021, the Institute of Culinary Education became the first culinary school to be powered by Mies. Josh believes in building technology with domain empathy, ensuring software always conforms to how we operate and fervently focusing on the finer details. I really enjoyed this conversation with Josh. And before we begin, I do want to give out a little disclaimer. I have had Mies, the company, as a sponsor once before my Instagram, I do want to share that this podcast interview is not sponsored, and I am having Josh on because since learning about Mies and using it and continuing to use it in my own operations day to day, I've come to love it, and I really enjoy this product. This is not a paid podcast. This is not an ad, but it is something that I am super interested in telling you all about and interested in talking to Josh about. I really wanted to go into this interview knowing very well how well the product operates. I mean... If you're anyone who runs a kitchen and has a recipe database, this is, the, I believe, the product for you. But beyond that, I really wanted to talk to Josh about, you know, working in the food tech space, how to build a startup, how he got financing and uh, got some funding. He goes into depth into kind of the funding aspect of a startup like his, you know, like Mies is. And he really goes into that. He also just gives really a lot of insight into his methodology of going into creating this business, kind of what he looks for in his recipe development software. And so much more. There's a lot of great, useful information. If you are all interested in food business or food technology, then this is definitely the interview for you. I highly recommend Mies. Once again, they were a sponsor once on Instagram, uh, but this is not a paid podcast, paid for podcast. Um, I don't ever really give that, you know, give an intro like that. But just in case there was any confusion, this is out of pure interest. I really enjoy talking to Josh. I love Mies a lot. I find their product so great. And um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this interview with Josh Sharkey, the CEO of Mies. Mm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. If you want to start out by introducing yourself, that'd be great. Uh, sure. I'm, I'm Josh Sharkey, the founder and CEO of Mies. Awesome. So a lot to get into, and I have a list of questions I'm going to ask you, but I guess we'll start with like the bigger news that's happened recently for you all. If you could, could you just kind of update us on what has happened with the company and in terms of your uh, last funding round and kind of where Mies is right now as a company? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, you know, we're just continuing to grow. Uh, mm-hmm. We did recently ra- raise our Series A round, um, which which is great. Just helps us continue to grow. Um, but you know, our our what what we do and what we are doing hasn't really changed. Just continuing on our mission to create the you know the universal recipe language. So this funding just helped us sort of double down on that and uh, hired a lot more engineering and product people to uh, just gain access to as more and more and more kitchens. Uh, we launched this premium version of the product as well. So really anybody in the world can now use Mies for free uh, to awesome. store and organize their recipes. And then of course you can then add it onto your business. Cool. Well, I, I start with that news just before we get into anything else. Cause I think it's important kind of the arc of our conversation of how the company started and kind of where you've gone from there. If you were to give an elevator pitch now of what Mies is, or if someone were to download it, what would you tell them your company offers? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I mean, I think, First and foremost, it's important to to sort of highlight this is technology built, you know, by chefs. I'm a chef. A lot of my team is chefs for for chefs, and Mies is addressing the entire culinary process from uh, creation and iteration uh, of a recipe through training and execution to production and costing and analysis, all the way through sort of sharing and distributing that content to to your team and to and to anybody that that, that you want to have those recipes. So uh, I've always I was always frustrated that the only technology that we had as chefs or in the kitchen operators was ERP and inventory management, and um, those are those, those are necessary tools, but they're they don't speak to what we do, uh, you know, in terms of chefs and mixologists and things things in the kitchen, uh, and so that's why I sort of stepped away from from you know running restaurants, being a chef, and, and, and built this built this tool. Can you give a bit quick background in the kind of your experience as a chef. What, what were you doing before Mies? Yeah, so my background was primarily in the fine dining world in New York City. So uh, in the last twenty plus years, I've been cooking and owning and operating restaurants. So that's everything. You know, when I first came to New York, um, I worked for, um, you know, some incredible chefs like, uh, you know, Rick Moonen and Floyd Cardoz and uh, David Boulay and Greg Koontz, uh, John George, and, you know, worked overseas at some Michelin star spots as well. So um, the majority of my career, you know, was was in that world. And then around 2009, I opened uh, my first restaurant called Bark, which was a fast casual restaurant at the time. It was a very novel um, approach to, to like American fast food just at the time didn't didn't exist to do that type of food was the approach that we had and the ingredients that we were using. Um, so fast forward, you know, uh, after about 20 years of that, I, um, I, I launched Mies. So most of my career, most of my life has been in restaurants and, and recently sort of migrated over to tech. Okay. And so when you're deciding, when was Mies launched? What year was this? 
so technically it was like January of 2021, maybe December of 2020. Um, you know, we, we were going to launch a little earlier, um, but there was the part of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll touch on this, but, you know, I decided to not to launch and instead launch this uh, altruistic uh, initiative called Recipes for Relief, where we basically gave the app away to every chef and said, create whatever recipes you want and and by the way, sell them, you know, to uh, to your audience. And we mm-hmm. built a platform on top of, of me to allow them to sort of sell their recipes and their recipe books to their audience uh, at a pay what you will um, price and let them, you know, allow them to, to raise, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for their for themselves and for their business. And so uh, the first six months of, of being live was really not as what we have today is as a tool for kitchens and more as a tool for chefs to um, you know, to generate revenue from their IP and, and, you know, while, at, at a time when they weren't open. Mm-hmm. You know, that totally makes sense. So, you know, being a chef, obviously, as you'll know, and it sounds like you did, like you said, do a lot of the fine dining path, uh, working for a lot of great chefs and kind of working your way up in that world. Was it, what made you decide though, to kind of leave that space to go into this? Cause I know for a lot of people that they get stuck in that mindset of like, they have to keep working in kitchens and restaurants and leaving it as like a negative for them. But I mean, obviously yeah. I've done, I've done that. It's been positive for me, but what, what was your point where you were like, yeah, I like cooking, but I also think there is more out there for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I love cooking. I mean, I love mm. cooking, especially cooking in restaurants and especially at that level. It's funny. I never thought that I would ever leave the, the <laughs> kitchen because my whole career, all I ever wanted to do was be the best chef in the world. And, and I was pretty damn good at it, you know, but I think at, at the end of the day, what it, what, what it came down to was impact. Like I, I didn't think when I was honest with myself um, that uh, I was going to have a big enough impact if I would, if I was continue to sort of open restaurants and, and granted the restaurants that I had were sort of fast casual and I never really um, opened my own sort of like fine dining restaurant, which I, um, uh, you know, sometimes regret, but, but um, even, even still, I, I didn't think even if I did that, that I would have a, a big enough impact on the industry uh, at large. And I, I had this burning desire to like build this tool that like I really wish that I had, and that kept bubbling up. And so, finally, I you know I decided like um, you know that that it, it made sense to divest and sell the restaurants and and dig right into to what we're doing today. Okay. Now, is there any like are there, like any competitors in this space, or are you pretty much the only person really doing chef driven recipe uh, software? Yeah, I think you know to the degree in which we're digging into this problem and this um, this opportunity, um, we haven't seen any yet. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely like you know uh, it, it, the thing is that there's this blurred line where like when you hear uh, it's it's really unfortunate, honestly, um, that to date when you hear the word recipe management software, uh, you immediately most people think of inventory software mm-hmm. so they immediately uh, like align competition as like the inventory systems are competing with us they're absolutely not we put we partner with most of them and and eventually probably all of them um mm-hmm. and you know because we are not trying to do that we're not an erp system um you know we found our own lane just like maniacally focused on on the recipe process and cooking we haven't really come across uh competition um there's sort of um, you know, the, the spectrum of inventory software, which pairs with us. And then the other end, there's like these kind of, you know, very basic level kind of recipe apps for, for um, maybe for home or and maybe they've tried to delve into a little bit of, of the professional side, but uh, nowhere near the amount of you know, sort of technology or, 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 or a feature-driven approach that, that 
that has that's doing what we're doing. I'm sure there will be at some point, but at the moment, there we, we haven't seen any. Kind of speaks to how archaic, how archaic the food industry still is in certain aspects. I mean, it, were you surprised kind of coming up with that, with this idea and with the space, like the concept of me is that there was really nothing like it out there. It's, given we're in twenty twenty two right now, I mean, obviously twenty twenty one when you launch, but how much technology yeah. there is out there, and still there's not really anything intuitive like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised only because I've been in it so long and I was looking for it. And the you know the biggest impetus for going and building is because it just wasn't anything, so I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily surprised. Um, but I do think that there was a you know it was a very particular scenario that had to occur for it to for 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 something like me is to be able to exist in that, like, I firmly believe that, you know, to solve this problem and to, you know, to really build recipe technology that chefs, you know, um, uh, can embrace, it had to be built by a chef. Uh, when I say build, I mean, obviously like, you know, manifest the idea and sort of like, yeah. you know, architect how, how, how it, how it should work. Obviously we have engineers that actually build the thing. Um, but a chef had to be there, right. It had mm-hmm. to be, um, you know, and, and on top of that, um, you know, I think there need to be a decent amount of capital deployed for building this thing. Um, you know, um, the the sort of the innovation delta between like what we have um, with recipe solutions today um, in terms of like the domain agnostic systems we use, like Google Docs and Google Sheets and things like that. And and what we have with Mies, or what we wanted to build with Mies was pretty steep, right? Meaning like we... The, the minimum viable product that we wanted to build wasn't something that we could just like release with some kind of like very basic thing that was, you know, um, that was inexpensive to get in the chef's hands, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because, you know, we need to, we needed to like, you know, show chefs that they could put their content into something other than, you know, Google docs and Google sheets and Evernote and things like that, because that's a pretty easy way to do it. And it, and it yeah. works. Right. So, so um, it required a decent amount of capital and, and you know, raising that much capital for a, a net new, category of technology wasn't easy and uh so i i think i was just lucky in that like i i was a chef i happened to have like a background in in, in um you know starting restaurants so i had some experience mm-hmm. raising capital and i also like you know found found the right people to help me raise more of it and um and i think you know that sort of combination of like you know having something chef driven having enough capital deployed up front to make sure that you can get past that that sort of you know innovation double to get to get something that really can go to market. I mean, we spent spent eighteen million dollars already, and we're not even close to where we where we need to be. Um, uh, was it was was vital. That that said, I think there is this like misnomer that um, chefs are not good with technology, and mm-hmm. uh, and um, that's just in my opinion not true. I think um, you know the. That for me, it's really that chefs don't have the time to spend on technology that isn't like right there, like gonna get where they're gonna get it right away, and yeah. it's intuitive, and they can just start jumping in and using it. And there hasn't been tech that 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 has delivered that for them, and so they don't have the time to waste to um, spend you know three, four, five, ten, twelve weeks figuring out and getting something stood up and getting all the data in there so that then they can finally have some sort of output. Um, and I think that's what was missed uh, when when sort of providing technology for kitchens is like, it needs to be immediate. It needs to be like right away. Um, something that, that, uh, um, you know, they can use. And apologies, by the way, I'm going to pause my, my, uh, notifications here on Slack. I hear Very good. jumping up. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that was a big piece of it. Um, the other thing is like, it just in general, like 
with technology in the restaurant in, in the restaurant space and kitchen space, um, you know, we are pretty behind, right? It's been an antiquated, tech, uh, you know, industry, but I think mm-hmm. a big part of that also is like, um, you know, it's sort of like trying to put a dashboard on a race car. That's like driving at full speed, you know, <laughs> um, re- restaurants, as you know, you've been there, like, you know, it's, it's, it's more like Broadway than anything else. It's every day you are on, no matter what, it starts at 11 a.m. or 8 a.m. or 5 p.m., whatever it is. And like, that's yeah. it. Like there, it's nonstop every single day. And, you know, putting in a new system into that sort of like, you know, daily, you know, grind is, is very difficult. Um, and so to get, getting them to sort of stop what they're doing, even if something is going to be a net positive and incremental improvement, like they, to stop what you're doing and then change system while you're moving so fast is very difficult. Um, I, I think actually COVID was a reason why the adoption curve increased because mm-hmm. that car slowed down a bit, right? So yeah. people had more time to, to to dig into technology and to learn more and to and to take the time to to adapt it. So, how many users do you have, or is it by user restaurant or kind of how do you manage that metric of? How many people are on your uh, we track We track both. So it's a little over 12,000 chefs on the platform. Okay. When I say nice. chefs, I mean like chefs, mixologists, like mm-hmm. you know, kitchen operators, um, individual users. And then there's about 1,200 kitchens. Um, okay. Which is uh, interesting because, you you know, every time you, you know a restaurant signs up or a kitchen of some kind, they they can have their team on. And, you know, um, it's a, everybody gets a free version of beans that they can take with them for life. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, so it's a sort of like that ten to one ratio, um, which is which makes sense. You know, maybe around ten cooks in a kitchen. Um, yeah. So as we scale, we start to see we see that same ratio of, of user. So how are you first able to start? Like you know, you just mentioned how difficult it might be to have uh, to go in and like get a chef to adopt this. What was your in the first few years? What was your like idea? I guess you're still in the first few years, but your first year, your idea to get this in front of chefs, like how did you get their attention? How did you get them to start using it? And how difficult was it to like get those first couple of users on board? It's, it's really hard. I think that I was, I was definitely like scared uh, because these are my friends. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you know, and, and, you know, they're going to be honest. And so I didn't want to show them something that wasn't, you know, good enough. Mm-hmm. and and it wasn't good enough when we started so it, in the beginning it was just like a lot of you know before we ever even launched it was it was years maybe three four years i'm sure a bunch of my friends gonna <laughs> and remember these calls i would have where i just would pick their brain what what you know what do you what do you like what don't you like about what you're doing right now what what mm-hmm. tools do you use why do you use those what are you doing those tools what are you building what are you creating your own formulas are you using like um other other apps um you know what sucks what's what works really well um what would you, what would, what would like, you know, uh, that 11 star experience be like, I, I just asked that for a very long time. And so um, before we ever got in anybody's hand, we did a lot of, just a lot of background and, and research, even though I was a chef, I assumed, you know, I have cognitive biases of what like I, I think it should be. And so we did a lot of that first. And then by the time we, we actually did start to get it into chef's hands, um, I think it was at a place where we had that first aha moment right away. We were like, Oh shit, this is cool. Um, yeah. Like, I didn't know this existed. So, you know, we just took a very long time before we actually, you know, put it in front of them. Okay. And with, in regards to like marketing to chefs and getting this out there, obviously like getting in front of them has worked. You've been able to adopt a good amount of users so far. Uh, but how important was it for you? Cause I can imagine there's a version of the company that is for chefs and also people in general, like just anyone who has recipes, maybe at home or whatnot. And I'm sure they can, anyone can use this software, but 
really targeting chefs, how important was it for you to really keep it just tied to the food industry and like chefs in particular? Well, that was, that's everything right now. So mm-hmm. we were, we're strictly focused on food professionals. So, and again, we say chefs as a proxy for anyone that's like, you yeah. know, dealing with recipes for a chef, mixologist, things like that. Um, but the tool is, though it's used by some sort of quote unquote home, home chefs, serious cooks and things like that. Um, we build for chefs. So mm-hmm. uh, my sort of um, hypothesis going into this was um, if we can build a tool that is adopted by the food community, but the, the professional uh, food community chefs um, then who are the most discerning, right? If we can build a tool that they adopt, then sort of uh, we can use that to then obviously address the, the rest of the market. Um, but making sure that this is a tool that unequivocally um, is adopted by the entire, you know, professional food community first. Okay. You know, it's interesting for me like to see it. Like how, it was cool. I mean, when I saw first saw me and first heard about it, this whole company just based for chefs, like most things that are geared that chefs use technology wise, like anyone could use, like you said, like Google sheets or any other company that has functionality in the kitchen world can also have functionality in a bunch of different industries. So to see something. So, I mean, the name me is obviously, and to see things so targeted, I thought was really um, interesting and a really smart move. If you're really trying to get into like the deep uh, roots of what a food industry professional looks at. So. Yeah. And it's funny, even the, even the name was very like the names are really important to me as well. And investors and, and, um, yeah, in the beginning, we're just like, eh, I don't know about the name. I don't know what that means. And in my mind, I'm like, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this, if, like, right away, if this name doesn't resonate with you, um, then you're not our customer. Um, and if you, if it does resonate with you, then you get it right away. Like, yep, understand that right away. Right. Everybody knows what everybody in this industry knows what Mies is uh, and Mies on Plus. And um, we, we purposely made it phonetically spelled instead of like the actual word um, yeah. for the long tail of that but um but yeah that's 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 part of the reason why you know why we call it that can you take some time before we start going into like a little bit more about recipe development since we're talking we've talked a little bit about funding and obviously you got the series a can you take some time for, to explain to because my audience is mostly like food industry focused explaining kind of what funding is like for a company like yours and kind of what the end goal is or what your goals are with getting funding and kind of how that works building it out yeah, do you mean how how it works to get funding or how? Oh yeah, how you how you get funding and kind of what like rounds and goals are for that like to get another round or yeah. what your goals are in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I would say is in terms of like you know my my uh, my opinion on 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 it is like try to raise as little as you can up front for as long as you can um, until you um, desperately need that cash because. Um, your customers are pulling so much out of you that you need to, you know, be able to support them. So you're uh, saying because, that in the beginning, use mostly the money you're bringing in over trying to go ahead and get a bigger amount. Uh, not necessarily the money that you bring in. Cause you may, maybe you don't generate revenue in the beginning. Um, but mm-hmm. just make sure it's very clear that you, uh, have something that's, uh, that's worth funding and be honest with yourself about that. Cause I think that it's, it's very easy to sort of synthetically come up with an idea. Um, but if you have, we all have our own sort of cognitive biases and, and assumptions, um, and you need to test those and stress test them and make sure um, that you um, that you're ready to go get funding because it means something once you get funding. Now there there's a difference between you know venture back funding and just getting you know some some angel investors. Um, mm-hmm. And if you in the beginning, you should probably get some angel investors and uh, and then a little bit again the, the least amount of funding you can um, to understand what like 
What what do you need to prove? Like, what hypothesis do you have, and how can you prove that as inexpensively as possible? Um, and then once you've proven that, then go and raise more money. So that's the first thing, right? Is um, you know, and you know, try try to do that as much as you, as much as you can. There are, now there are some industries and some products where that's just not possible, right? If you're mm-hmm. building, you know, robots or biotechnology, um, or or again, if the if the you know the zero to one um, for an MVP is greater than like a like a small amount of cash, for instance, for what we're doing, then then um, you know, then you don't have a choice. But mm-hmm. whenever you can raise, because again, you're also giving up equity or um and, and things like that. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, and iterate as much as possible as for for as often as you can on on feedback. You know, for a very niche audience, and just make sure that they really love this thing, and then go raise more more funding. When you're going to get funding, I think what's if you're going to go get if you need to go get you know like proper sort of venture venture you know capital you need to be really clear on the way in which you're going to get to let's say a hundred million dollars in annual recurring revenue right um because in venture right they're not investing in a company uh that they think will do 10 million in revenue you know, mm-hmm. that's not, that's that they, 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 they need to read a venture. Any venture fund needs to return the fund. Right. So if it's a, you know, if it's a $300 million, um, you know, fund that, that, that's your, that you're raising from, they need your business to return $300 million to them. Right. So any individual, um, um, any individual venture fund is looking for an individual investment to, to return the fund. Right. So you, you need to be able to, you know, tell a story of like how you're going to get to a hundred million dollars in revenue. And that can't just be anecdotal, right? Mm-hmm. You need to understand, okay, like what is the price point? What is the price point going to be at scale? How big is this market? How are we going to distribute to that market? Um, all those things need to be really dialed in, you know, if you're going to go raise, you know, proper venture capital or the earlier are you on in that, in that, in that life cycle of, of, of raising, say pre-seed or seed, that story can be a little bit more ambiguous uh, and more aspirational, but the, the later you get the, the more clear it has to be. Um, and the other thing I would say is, is you really need to own the narrative um, and own the metrics that, that you care about. Because otherwise, you know, investors are going to tell you what metrics uh, you need to care about. And they're going to tell you the narrative. Um, and if you, you know, if you're going to raise money and you say, well, we're going to do this. And, um, and we're thinking about, you know, av- you know, n- monthly active users. And, but we also like care about like, you know, uh, monthly recurring revenue and we want and net dollar retention or whatever those things are. And you're not really clear on like specifically what, what metric means most to you, mm-hmm. then they will drive that narrative. And that might not be the metric that matters most. And it might actually be a metric that then you have to go optimize for. That's not the right one for your stage of the business. So you have to be really clear on like why you're doing what you're doing, uh, what your hypothesis is and like the, the, the very specific metric that you're using to measure the success of that. Okay. And for you all, what does that metric look like? So for us, I think, um, you know, growth is really like how we how we can measure that this thing is working because mm-hmm. especially now that we have a free version of the tool, um, yeah. but but more so because we're building product for, for, for restaurants uh, or for kitchens in general um, to scale, right? Um, you know, it's, you know, the, Growth and revenue it, it is for us at this stage of our business uh, the most important thing because it's how we know that we're doing our job right because if people uh, if kitchens are are paying for the for the product then uh, we know that we're doing our job uh, independent of that now there's there's basically three metrics that we consider most um, 
and growth is obviously the most obvious one for us. Um, but net dollar retention is huge. So net dollar retention is essentially, um, you know, uh, the revenue that your customers um, um, expand on. Um, so your your current customers, uh, how much more are they are they expanding within your product on a monthly or an annual basis? Whatever the cadence is, uh, you know, plus plus the churn. So my, really mi minus any churn there is. And so basically, it's just a measure of like. Um, how much are you growing uh, uh, independent of any new customers? Like how much are your current customers, you know, growing your business? And that's, that's, that's really important to us, oh. um, especially now that we have, that we have freemium and then daily active or monthly active uses is really important because we want to know that, um, that people are using the tool every day. And, and that's how we know we're doing our job. And this is, it could be obvious that it's offered globally. Like anyone in the world can use the service. It is yes, we have we have customers all over the world. I think maybe it's about twenty one countries now. That said, mm -hmm. we're primarily focused in North America, um, yeah. and then there's some scatterings in Southeast Asia and South America and and Australia as well. Cool. Well, thanks for going through that little lesson on uh, startup funding and um, just kind of being a successful business. So, looking forward, obviously, one last question on like business side of things before getting into more like the philosophy of recipes and whatnot. For you, like product offering, obviously this is something you want to grow in the next few years, but is there any other different products you kind of envision that would like tailor to chefs? Like, or is it mainly just going to be building out the software and adding more features or what does that look like for you in regards to innovating the product? Yeah, absolutely. So right now we are working on um, a really incredible way to, to, um, um, to manage your menus in a way that we haven't been able to do before as chefs. And as operators, actually, that, that's being built as we speak. Mm -hmm. um, independent of that, like we always have a piece of our roadmap that is um, that is continually improving the process of inputting recipes, updating recipes, sharing recipes, getting all the all the things that we already do. Um, a, a, a large portion of our roadmap is just to continually improve those, and that's really important, right? Because I think we can get lost in like all the new features, but mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff that we need to improve upon. So that's a big part of what we're of what we think about in terms of the product is just making sure that that is so good and so easy and so fast and, and so intuitive. And there's always work to do on that. Um, outside of those two things, um, I would say the things that we think about for future states, um, there's a few. So um, uh, optimizing prep is a big one for us that we think about. It's a big it's a big feature that everybody asks us for, and I know. Um, how we want to do it um, mm -hmm. but we're still exploring the best way to sort of deliver it like what the ui needs to be like so that it's it can be some, something that's adapted really quickly uh, so the prep's a big one um iot uh integrations so iot's for, for those in the internet of things meaning like you know smart ovens uh, smart scales uh, smart immersion circulators smart thermometers connecting to to me so that when you have a recipe um you get notified when the oven is at a certain temperature and you get notified when um, you know, when the, 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 something that you're, that you're having to be is, is hit temp and you can build recipes in there and things like that. So that's, that's something that, that, that's super exciting for me as well. Um, the other side of the business, uh, that we're just now starting to explore, which is, has always been part of the grand vision is we want to democratize the, the, the publication of these recipes. Um, right now you can share recipes online to, to folks and it's a really beautiful UI that you can share on Instagram, things like that, but long-term um, I think the cookbook industry is completely antiquated. I think that the way that we sort of are able to sort of experience them is 
very analog and mm-hmm. um and static and so um i won't go too deep into it but but um given the platform that we're building um we have a really really unique opportunity to disrupt that and make it faster easier and more con- more economically friendly for chefs to, to to build those things perfect good to hear Awesome. So kind of want to get into, I know we got like 19 minutes left a little bit into recipes and why they're important. Uh, we'll start with recipes. We can go into food costs and what that in a little bit, but why is, why have you found it's been so important for chefs? Like, I mean, maybe you could speak to what they've shared with you, why they found it so important to have me as a tool in their kitchen. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think like the, like the baseline that is um, um, so important. That's kind of like the unspoken thing is you need a source of truth of your, of your content, of your IP, right? Like in any kitchen, right? Everybody needs to know like, oh, that's where the recipes live. And that's the recipe for the salsa verde. Anytime that there's um, confusion or there's ambiguity around like, wait, is it is this the right recipe or is this the right recipe? And where does it live? And who updated it? And do I have the updated version? Uh, that kind of stuff happens all the time and it's a pain in the ass. And uh, that uh, right, right there, you know, we solved that and we spent most of our time in the beginning just making sure that it was really easy to store, organize, and, and share your recipes. So the source of truth is one. Um, I'm a big believer in just-in-time versus just-in-case information, and especially in the kitchen. Um, you know, the reason why recipe management software, the way that we're delivering it is important, is that, you know, chefs don't, aren't going to look at a report in the kitchen, right? They're not going to look at, mm-hmm. like, food costs as they're thinking about a recipe or... Um, and so delivering the, this information in a digestible way in the recipe, not mm-hmm. in, a, in a report after the fact, um, is invaluable, right? Because that's where we're doing our work. Um, so like putting that right into the product is, 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 is really helpful. And then lastly, where we see sort of from, from, from an ROI perspective, where recipe management is important is obviously, you know, making it very easy to create a profitable menu item um, and being seeing the impact as you change things in real time. Um, so not, again, not from a report, but as I create a recipe or as I you know, like iterate on a recipe, understanding how that you know impacts profit margin, food costs, things like that, as well as, um, you know, training, right? So um, I need to make sure that my cook knows how to make this recipe. Yeah, I need to make sure that this cook, if they're green and they've never cooked before, no matter what they know, what I mean when I tell them to brunoise a shallot or I tell them to caramelize something and I can mm-hmm. put that in as a video and make it very clear and, 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 um, and the, that can't be an LMS system that you go home and, and, and watch at home and then come back and do it. It's gotta be again, just in time. Um, and so the right recipe management software lets you do that in the moment, right? So if you're gonna make this thing, if you're gonna roast this squash or you're gonna like, you know, uh, julienne, you know, this vegetable, there's a there's a instructions right there of how the chef wants you to do it. Yeah, no, that's totally awesome. And you know, I've used Mies personally, and I think, you know, speaking into that a little bit, a couple of things, I really love the food cost aspect. So basically, if you're like, for those listening, you put in your amounts for the recipe, but each, um, each ingredient, you can tie in uh, how much it costs, and then you can also put in a, a yield. So for example, if you're using like a diced carrot, in a recipe, you can either put in carrot and it'll just give like a carrot and the cost of a carrot per pound or whatever your item, your like number is. But then you could also go in and put, um, you can put in the prep step that it's a diced carrot. And I, I don't know off the top of my head, but let's say it's like 85% of the carrot can be diced and obviously the rest goes to waste. So having that into your recipe as you're building it out, it leads you to having exact or close as like 99% exact um, numbers or figures or a sense of where you're at food cost wise. So then later down in the recipe, as you edit it, if you were to say, put your recipe in, 
you then i think it's like how much it costs obviously proportionate and how much a portion is you can kind of get it you can kind of dictate where you're at food cost wise on that recipe and so it's something like that that was so valuable and important you also talked about the prep steps and it for me is you can put your like own video um guidance in like you can have your preps that's saying like peel the carrots dice the carrots but then you can also add in a video as well and so to have all that live in one place especially the financial part of it i think is super cool and i think it's super cool not just for chefs but everyone in the kitchen because i think there's a big lack of financial awareness for cooks and people in the restaurant industry unless you're like in a managerial spot and to see how your work affects it and like you know if you say for example you're cutting carrots and you you don't yield close to 85%. And it's, you can't really say for exact, but say you've wasted half the carrots you've just prepped, then you can directly see how that costs more money and drives up the cost of that dish. So all that to say is that I found it very impressive using it. And it was really just, you know, that was like my favorite thing was the financial aspect of it. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And I, and um, yeah, I mean, as it relates to the prep steps, I think, you know, the thing that gets lost again with recipe technology is, or really any trained technology, but like with recipe specifically is, one long video of how to do something, in my opinion, never works. Like mm-hmm. you can't watch a twenty-minute video. Um, you you know you know. So we specifically built the technology so that every single step can have its own you know video that can be a five-second video or a two-minute video, whatever you want it to be. Um, but you but you can really make sure that every single step has instructions that are very clear. Um, yeah, and as it relates to food cost, I think the the, the other piece of this, which is a which is a huge pain point that we try to solve, is um, you know you write recipes the way you write them in a kitchen. Now, maybe everybody should use grams and that's like the way to do it, but they don't, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't make sense to do it either. You know, there's recipes which it doesn't make sense to do that. And, you know, when you write a recipe and you use half a cup of diced carrots, um, you don't know, like if you have to go and measure every single ingredient of like, okay, what does a half a cup of diced carrots weigh and how much did I lose? That takes yeah. so much time. And that's why we just built, we spent, you know, years before we ever, um, like released the platform five years of, of, of in all the kitchens of, that, that I was running, testing thousands of these ingredients all the mm-hmm. time so that like we already give you like every every variation of carrot. So if you want to dice a carrot or slice it or juice it or, or you know, peel it or, you know, uh, Macedoine it or, or Mirapod, that's already built in for you. You just write, you know, three quarters of a cup of Mirapod carrots and it means we'll already, you know, convert that that's that weighs this much and you've lost this much. And so it, when you buy carrots, even if you buy a 50 pound bag, but you're using a three quarter cup of, of mirepoix, it's already like calculated for you because who the hell has time to like measure like all those things. And by mm-hmm. the way, why is every single kitchen have to do it themselves? <laughs> you know, why can't we just have a centralized database? And so that's, that's what we did al- along with the allergens as well. So that, you know, as you build your recipe, these allergens are built in for you as well. Yeah. And I think it it can't be overstated how much time saving it is to have those yields in there and to have that like all like it's hours of time and that's hundreds and thousands of dollars saved over a year. So I think it it really is a benefit. And obviously this isn't an ad for me it's more so a conversation for us, but I I wouldn't have had you on if I didn't believe it and I didn't use in the product. And I, I do think it's so cool. And I, I think I said this like when I first signed up, like I wish I had this when I was back managing kitchens, like in a restaurant setting, because I I used it more of an R and D space. But back in restaurants, I could see definitely how like great, like beneficial it would be for those in the. So I know we're coming up on time, so just a couple more quick questions or one big one. Um, you know, a lot of people in the industry, especially during COVID, they want to go out and start their own thing. Uh, they want to kind of be the 
the person that leads their life. They want to like go do different projects, but they're kind of a, I've met a lot of people that are very hesitant to leaving kitchens as someone who successfully like pursued a venture like me and obviously you've been very successful with it so far. Uh, and it obviously not everyone's going to go out and build a Mies, but maybe there's something else they're really passionate about. What advice do you have for them from leaving the kitchen space into going into something new? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is if you, if you can be successful in a kitchen, um, you can do a lot of things. I, I always get asked like, you know, how do I, what's the difference between running a tech company and running a restaurant? And there's a big difference, but actually being a cook and running a tech company are actually fairly similar um, because being a cook is hard. Being a chef is hard. Running it, you know, being in the kitchen is, is difficult. You know, you have to be organized, very organized, and you have to plan really well and you have to be, you know, self-motivating and you have to have discipline and you have to understand the, the importance of iteration um, and things like that. And that's, those are skill sets that you learn very quickly in a kitchen if you're, if you're successful. So the first thing I'll say is like, if you've done it in a kitchen, you can do a lot. Um, so, have that confidence because you can. Um, and second, I would just say like, you know, uh, like anything in life really, uh, like we all know that like, you don't want to be in restaurants unless you love it because it's really, really hard. And it's the same, right? If you um, if you want to go do something else, just make sure it's something that you really, really love because um, it's no different, right? It's going to be really hard no matter what. This thing, I mean, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was many years of just, you know, anguish before I ever got to something that was, you know, that wasn't hard, um, but it was fun. Right. And I think that's the, you know, I think that's the important thing. It's like, you can do anything, especially nowadays, it's so much easier um, mm. with, you know, the, you know, the distribution of like, you know, ability to, you know, have an audience and, um, and get the word out and, and, and um, crowdsource, you know, information, like there's a lot more you can do. Um, so just start doing it and you can, you know, test something out on the side and, and learn a lot as you go. Awesome. Are there any uh, books, podcasts, or anything else that you would recommend people uh, take a look at? Something maybe that's inspired you or impacted you? Um, I mean, there's tons. Is there a specific, you know, um, um, just whatever comes to mind? Or... Yeah, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to podcasts, um, I I mean, I've always loved the Tim Ferriss one. I don't I don't listen Great to podcast. it as much any, anymore, but but um, but I I love that one. Um, and, uh, I love the Lex Friedman podcast. I love the all in podcast. Um, these are just ones I actually enjoy, but, um, starting greatness is a really incredible one, uh, from Mike Maples Jr. Um, that's a, I, I always learn a ton from that. Um, and, um, masters of scale is a great one too, uh, as it relates to tech. In terms of books, um, I think if you're going to start a, I, I, I'm kind of over-indexing here on like the tech world so mm -hmm. um i apologize in this case but like um crossing the chasm is like uh is a is a non-starter you have to um read that one um zero to one by peter Thiel is an incredible book about understanding the importance of um how to build net new technology um, um play bigger is an incredible one as well so um and you know i think for me personally i read um every year i read siddhartha uh, okay. I read this, this same book. I've been reading it every year for like 20 plus years. I think, you know, the, the general theme <laughs> of that book is um, I can think, I can fast and I can wait. And it just sort of like, you know, um, helps me to sort of, you know, um, 
you know, re, re, reassess like where I'm at and understand that like no matter what's going on, um, even if I go back to zero, um, that, you know, if I have knowledge, right, and I can be disciplined and, and, and wait and, and fasting is part of that as well, um, that you can kind of do anything. So that's a great book just in general. Awesome. Great. Well, I ended all my interviews the same way. Now that you've been on the podcast, uh, my audience, I call them the line cook nation. We have chefs, cooks, people in the food world, all interested in learning more about each other. What does it mean for you to speak to an audience of uh, people in the food world? Yeah. I, I I feel just grateful. The grateful that to be able to have uh, you know a place to speak and and honored that like I'm I'm, I'm able to. Um, and I I also do feel a bit of a responsibility to make sure, you know, that we carry this knowledge on and and um, the restaurant industry gave gave me everything that that I have. So uh, just really just grateful to 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 be able to continue doing this. Perfect. Any websites, uh, Instagram handles, Twitter handles, anything like that you want to drop, feel free uh, right now. Uh, well, we're at, at getmes dot, uh, on, on Instagram. So that's that's probably the best place to find us and getmes.com online. Yeah, getmes.com website. So and I'll have that all linked in the description too. Josh, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. Cheers. Awesome. We're- And there you have the interview with Josh Sharkey of Mies. Go to the description of this episode to go check out Mies. I also have put in all of his social media tags, all of Mies' uh, social media tags. As a reminder, sign up for Prepless Items, the weekly Line Cook Thoughts newsletter that goes out every Monday. I really hope you'll check it out and subscribe. And also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.